The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you doing, friend? Welcome to another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm going to be playing an interview that was recorded a couple of years back. Something that people ask me from time to time is, what happens after you request an interview? What happens after you send an email to the publicist of whoever, or you write a letter to an artist or a singer or a songwriter? What's the next thing that happens? For the longest time, the answer was usually nothing. Nothing happened. I don't know exactly what has changed, but I get a lot more yeses than I got in the past. But when I think about interview subjects that were elusive, Roger Guth is certainly one that comes to mind. To tell you a little bit about Roger Guth, he has been the drummer for Jimmy Buffett since 1989, also the drummer and songwriter with the Peter Mayer Group. Peter Mayer, of course, is also a member of Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band. It's kind of interesting because what attracted me to Roger Guth was his original albums. He released a couple of albums, the first one called Scotch, the second one called Cowboy Ballet, featuring his songs, which are kind of jazz vocal songs, and I was intrigued by his songwriting. He is a very interesting singer. He's written some songs that were recorded by some other artists. For example, Vanessa Williams recorded his song Moonlight Over Paris. Jimmy Buffett covered a couple of his songs, including Frenchman for the Night, which is a favorite of mine, and also Mermaid in the Night. I tried to interview Roger Guth for a long time. There were a number of requests that I had sent. I had interviewed everybody in Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band, with the exception of Roger Guth, everybody in the Peter Mayer Group, with the exception of Roger, and everybody on the Little Flock Music label, which is the label that he's on, with the exception of Roger Guth. There were people in Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band who said, you'll get an interview with Jimmy Buffett before you get one with Roger Guth. He's just a little bit more of a private person. It was back in 2016, he released his first album in quite a long time. It was called Tin Roof, an instrumental jazz album, kind of reminiscent of Pat Metheny, who comes from the same state as him. And there were people out there who were putting the energy out there into the world that this interview with Roger Guth needed to happen. I would have to mention Mike Davis, the manager of Little Flock Music Label. He had a lot to do with making this interview happen. And happen it did. It was back in 2016 in the summertime. I was instructed to go to a hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was there that I was brought into a room where I would meet Roger Guth at last. His bandmate and longtime friend Peter Mayer joined us. I remember he was sitting on the bed, and every now and then he would add his thoughts, so he was kind of sitting in on the interview. I'm glad I had the chance to interview Roger Guth. I hope I get a round two with him, but for now, I hope you all enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, sitting down with a composer, a songwriter, a drummer, 
a performer, Mr. Roger Guth. Thank you so much for making the time to do this. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. It's an honor. So, I think most stories are best from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you come from the great state of Missouri? Right. What's the name of the town you're from? Uh, St. Louis. From St. Louis. Yeah. Well, tell us about your parents. Um, well, you know, they were farmers. My whole family was. And I grew up, they had a little band, and I played with them. What kind of music did they play? Um, it was like, you know, kind of German folk music. Not folk music, but, you know, they would play weddings and dances and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. My sister played. My dad played accordion. You know, that's how I got interested in playing, just out of jealousy. <laughs> what do you mean by that jealousy? Well, they all played, and I didn't play anything, so I was like, uh, I better play something. Interesting. <laughs> well, at least that's the way I remember it. I don't know if that's what it actually was. So, would you describe it as a, a musical family? Yeah, very much. Not that they were they weren't professional musicians, but there was always you know music around all them. I mean, I know if I had grown up with no, if they wouldn't have been playing music, I probably wouldn't have picked that up, you know, or or at least been encouraged to. I mean, they didn't like the idea of me being a professional musician. But Why not? Well, it's a risky business. Always, yeah. <laughs> and pretty much the failure rate is, you know, 99 out of 100. So, but when, you know, when I became more successful later than that, then you know, we're okay with it. Well, why do some people make it and some people don't? Uh, <laughs> luck. Yeah. That's pure luck. I mean, you can go into a whole thing about somebody works harder than others, but there's a luck element to it. Yeah. What about the music that you like the most? What were your favorites? What do you mean? Like, just growing up, the music that you, you particularly gravitated towards. Well, you know, I started out, I was listening to lots of big band stuff. That's when I first listened to. Because, you know, I was a drummer and I wanted to be like Buddy Rich or something, you know. So that kind of stuff. And then gradually got, then once I got deeper into that, then it was more like I got into the more, like Miles and Coltrane and then Tony Williams became one of my favorites and Roy Haynes and all those guys, you know, the more jazz drummers. So it's more melody that excites you than a lyric. Or would you say that that's not correct? No, I like I like pop music and lyrics too, you know. Like I love the Beatles and Elton John and Stevie Wonder and Paul Simon. You know, those were all I listen to all that stuff too. I would have to say I listen to the other stuff more because but until I became more interested in songwriting, and, you know, then that sort of it became like a dual thing. I mean, if you just look at the music that you've written, it's so varied. There's everything from this jazz album, the new album, right. Tin Roof, to, you know, songs that almost have like a folksy kind of character to right, it. Right, Yeah, well, I mean, it's fun to be able to do all that, you know. Maybe I should have stuck with one thing more. <laughs> what is it about the genre of jazz? that is exciting to you? Um, it's just musically interesting to me, you know. I like harmony a lot. I like melody. I like people, musicians being able to play, you know, kind of complexity. I don't, it's not complexity. It's just, you know, listening to someone really. I mean, that kind of music doesn't have boundaries, per se, so much as, like, you know, for instance, like if it's a bluegrass music, you can't use, once you get sort of out of the language of that, idiom, it doesn't sound like bluegrass anymore. It sounds like jazz meets bluegrass. So, you know what I mean? You can't, 
those idioms sort of are really limiting. Like you can't use those kind of chords and that, whereas I don't, I hesitate, I don't even like calling it jazz, but I mean, that kind of music sort of lets everything be, I mean, it can sound limiting too, you know, but if it, on its best day, it doesn't because it can let anything in, you know, like if the, someone wants to have an African influence or, you know, a classical influence or whatever, it just is, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to fit into some format, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Which is not necessarily bad or good. It's just what it is. So on this Tin Drum album, I mean, Tin Roof, when I was listening to it, the first thing I thought, and I hope you take this as a compliment, I thought, this is a lot like the music that Pat Metheny composes. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, he's a big influence on me. Yeah, very large. Yeah. So it would, you know. Which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Mayer is here as well, and we'll be asking him a few questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> this was my interview. <laughs> well, Roger made me dream of duct tape. <laughs> Were the drums your first instrument? Yeah. And you chose the drums? Yeah. Why? What was it about it? I don't know. It was probably easier to play. I thought it would be easy to play, but I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you uh, start on the piano? Not that, well, I don't really play piano, but yeah. I mean, I tinkle around on it. But I mean, I we had one and my sister played, so I would, I just started playing. Probably should have played piano. Well, why is that? Well, it feels very natural to me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I've never really taken any lessons or anything, and if I really put my, if I really studied it, I'd probably be a pretty good piano player. I mean, it sounds arrogant to say that, but I don't mean it that way. Do you compose on the piano? Yeah. Yeah. When did you find out you could write songs? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I can. <laughs> Come on. You just, all you do is do what you do and, you know, and hope somebody, you know, or if you like it, you know, that I never thought about. I mean, I, I, I don't know. That's, hmm. that's kind of a hard question. Are you trying to get any type of reaction? I think it was, I don't remember if this was on a review, in a review that I read. This might have been a review that I read on one of the uh, one of the other albums, the earlier albums, or because I've asked a lot of people about you and your music. This might have been Chris Walters who said the songs are always thought provoking. What are you looking for? Is it that? What do you mean? I'm not sure what you mean. Well, I mean, you you just take a song like, for example, Cowboy Ballet. Right. Okay. You listen to it, and you have to have you have to have an opinion about what it's saying. Oh yeah, well you know it's those are fun to me because you get to be sort of like a writer, you know. And I'm a big fan of like you know Randy Newman and and um, some other people I can think of, but that have that kind of ironic, you know, dark humor. It, it's more fun than just writing a yeah yeah you know chorus, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's more interesting. Well, I wanted to ask you about that song in particular. It uh. It's kind of humorous, but it kind of has like a, a sad element to it. It, feel, yeah. it feels sad. What do you, what is it to you? It's uh, probably that. Yeah, yeah. Both. Yeah. 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 Well, life is kind of you know bittersweet, funny. Yeah. If you're paying I attention, mean, ideally, as an artist, <laughs> you 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 have a, a vi- you have an art artistic vision somewhere that comes out, and it usually is based on one kind of personality or trait or something you know yours. Or that's what I think, you know. So you're constantly kind of in the back. There's always that thing that you do, whatever you, however you see the world, or whatever it is, it comes through in your painting or you know whatever you're doing. Hmm. I think, 
And if you don't have an opinion or, 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 a, or a thing, then you're kind of, your art is kind of like, well, why should I listen to you? You know, like, I mean, you don't have to agree with it or disagree with it, but you should have something to say, I would think. What kind of things inspire your, your songwriting? Well, other song, you know, other musicians and songs and other music, reading, you know, stuff, other writers, you know, that's pretty much most of it. I, the sound of it is really a lot of it, you know, like, I just, or the feel, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't sit and look at a sunset and go, I'm going to write a song. That's kind of Pollyannish to me. Hmm. <laughs> it's a little more about the relationship between you and the notes or something. I don't, you know, that sounds esoteric, but. It's hard to put into words, but, you know. With us here is Peter Mayer, and I was hoping you could tell us about the very first time you two met. What was your initial impression? Well, I don't really remember, but he was, I was actually friends with his brother, Jim, first. We were playing together, and then, I, I don't remember the day or something that I met Pete, but, you know, Jim said, my you know, my brother plays guitar or whatever, and Pete was already kind of, famous around town it's like the you know the good guitar player but i don't remember like walking into a room and going oh hey Pete, you know. when you first played together or worked together in any kind of way did you know immediately that there was like a creative musical chemistry there yeah the, well the, i don't know if it was immediate but it developed pretty fast like you know the, this is this is something cool you know I don't know if it's immediate, but it was pretty quick. Like, this is really works really well. And very, or, I don't, you know, you just kind of feel the same things and you don't have to work. Like, like you get right to the work, you know, like you're not like, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're just putting it, you know, it's like we get right to work. We don't ballyhoo around the edges so much, you know. And it's not that everybody's different because I've written with some other writers, but you just don't have that same connection on that level, you know. What about you, Peter? Yeah, I, there's, there's often a, a chemistry there, and I remember the first time we played. You know, back then, Roger and Jim seemed more into jazz than I had been. I, I always think that they've been better jazz players in that sense, but they kind of, we, we taught each other back then. But I think we fit together like really good puzzle pieces, like Roger and Jim had were aggressive in ways that I wasn't, and vice versa. And with Tin Roof, and it's been this way with Raj throughout our history that it's almost like there's always a third party in the room. Not necessarily Jim, but when we, Raj and I get together, it just starts happening. And I think, right, Raj? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's almost magical. I mean, I've never seen this stuff, but with Pete, it is like we, you know, I'll bring something in and Pete will be like the finishing. and be like, that's exactly what it needs. And I never thought of that, but I knew you would. And I think that's, or we'll come up. It'll be just in the same right. room. It'll, we won't even. It won't even be one or the other. It'll just be like, well, what if? Yeah, that's it. And then all that stuff just kind of flow, which is the way it's supposed to be. You know, we were fans of similar chords and stuff like that. And and we have to, you know, at least I have to thank Jay Oliver, who you know, early Buffett member and and also wonderful musician in his own right for for some of that. But Raj always had a net. He he talked about his keyboard thing. I just. As you guys were talking about that, I wanted to add this in that he says he's not a piano player, but you lay your hands on the on the piano rod and he feels it. It's almost like someone's playing through him. He finds chords that he wants. And the the thing that proves that to me is that Chris Walters, like or other fine piano players, 
will have to figure out some of the voicings because they're not typical piano, as if there's typical piano voicings, but because there are secret notes in there, that, which are things we love, and Raj just kind of lays his hands there and says, I like that. No, I don't like that. I like this. And that's what's, you know, one last thing I'll say about the writing on Tin Roof. He brought in a lot of these songs already mostly assembled or, or like, like melodies were already together. Chords were much together. But what the, the way we work together is that we put down the recordings and then the, Raj would say, I want a passage here that goes like this and it goes up and then we together we'd find a passage. So I wanted to say that though, because I co-wrote some of these with Raj, but he brought in the vision. Well, there's one of the songs on there. I wanted to ask you about it in particular. Is there any significance to the title? Very so- It's a very soothing song, and it's, I'm talking about Still Life. Um, well, I don't know if it's significant. It's just kind of a nice title. But it's a very old song, actually, of mine. It's, uh, it's like way old. Like, Is that Back to Left Lane? Thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, like 1985 or whatever that is. Yeah. And I never got the chance to record it. And it's always stuck with me. Like, man, someday, this, you know, you know, you come back to it every, like, few years. You're like, that's, you know, that's a really good song. I should record this one day. And you never really, I never really had the opportunity because it's such a, you know, it's like a little jazz ballad. But on this, I was like, you know, this would be a good place for this, you know, because, it, it, you know, it would fit in here. So it, it, it worked out really well, and, the, and everybody played it really well. And so Not just the songs on the Tin Roof album, just in general. When you two write together, what is that process like? What does it look like from someone who's just eavesdropping? Uh, probably really boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of it is. Um, but but I'll say about the quickness of it, you can take any title, because this probably happened both ways, Raj, where I'll have an idea. Well, like Color of the Sun on Jimmy's last album was one of them. We wrote that together. And... I have to say that was mostly Raj and me putting together that melody and the lyrics, and then it was finished by all of us, which which made a good song, I think. And but you almost there's nothing you can't that feels it. There's nothing that feels like we can't write it. It's like if you said "Stinky Dog" is your title, I think we could probably come up with something that's pretty good for "Stinky Dog," you know, because it's just so easy. And I think that's that's not because we're the same. It's because we somehow complement. How did you know that it was time to come out with this album? What gave you the feeling? What what got it? Um, uh, I thought Jimmy might quit, so I would run out of money, and this would be a <laughs> this would be a good time to put out this record because <laughs> it costs me money to make. <laughs> yeah. Besides that, it was just you know there was a little window of months, and I had written these tunes. It was really like the songs. I came up with one song, and then I was like, you know, I showed it to Pete, and he was like, wow, that's pretty neat, you know? And then I was like kind of encouraged, like, maybe I'll write some more of these. And they just sort of happened. I mean, I don't want to sound like it's magical. You know, I did them. And so I had enough songs, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this, you know? So that's It's something I always wanted to do, and, you know, so... And then there was a window of opportunity when we were on the road with Jimmy and I doing everybody was kind of free to record for a little while. So I wanted to go and and ask about some of the songs you've written from the past. Moonlight over Paris. What did you think of the interpretation that Vanessa Williams did? 
Oh, I thought it was good. She sounded, it was, you know, it was fun. I mean, it's different than, you know, the version Pete sang, but it was, you know, I thought it was a great treat to have a song that I feel really good about. Like, that's one of my, I think that's one of the best songs I've ever been involved in. And I really liked it. And, and then to have someone like her do it, you know, it was really exciting. I wish it would have been a big hit or something, but, you know. <laughs> what inspired that song, Moonlight Over Paris? Um, well, there is actually kind of a... I was taking Kelly, my wife, well, we weren't even married then. We were living in New York. And I took her to the airport. I get sued for this, but I took her to the airport to go visit her family or something in Newark, New Jersey. And, you know, and those were the days when you went in with somebody. So I walked in. To the airport? Yeah. So I went into the airport. I went and she went on the flight. And I went in the bookstore and bought this book, Still Life with Woodpecker, which is by uh, Tom Robbins. I, yeah, I think that's the title of it. Anyway, in the book, there's, I got, I kind of pieced together a phrase that he used and, and that was the, and then I really liked that. And I, I don't know. It was one of those, another one of those things where you just, and I lived in New York and I wrote this melody and then Pete and I got together. A few months later, and I showed it to those guys and and Jim, and they really liked it, and and, and then we kind of finished it together, and and actually Pete really mapped out a lot of the the lyric idea of the because it was one of those like yeah I know this is cool, but I can't get any further than this, you know. But that's it was it did come from that. You know? mm. Who do you think did the best interpretation of a song that you wrote? What do you mean? Just any song you wrote, a, a particular recording artist, you think this person did the best treatment of, of something I wrote, whether you wrote it by yourself or you wrote it with a co-writer? Oh, well, I don't know. Well, I haven't had that many covers or anything, so I don't really know. I guess it would be Jimmy, you, me, Vanessa Williams. Yeah, I mean, as far as a cover, probably Vanessa. Or and then like Dave Weckl as well has covered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Songs yeah, I mean, they were all good, you know. There wasn't a particular one that you listened back to and you thought this was the best. This was the the best recording of something I wrote. Couldn't say. No, I couldn't say. Hmm. What got you to start the the recording career of your own? What What got you to start singing, like the first album, Scotch? I don't know. That was probably a mistake, right? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Elliot Shiner have something to do with kind of encouraging you? Yeah, he actually did. Yeah, that's funny. He did. He he really liked my voice for some reason. Because when I that's right. When I first wrote for Jimmy, I really didn't play with him. And Elliot had said, "Why don't you guys write some tunes for this album?" You know. And so Jay Oliver and I wrote some, and we needed somebody to sing the demo. And I was like, "Well, you know," Jay's like, "Why don't you sing it?" You know. I was like, okay. And they were, you know, they were kind of simple songs. And, you know, it's always an advantage when I sing because then the person, the singer, singing, going, well, I can do better than that. <laughs> there was one song, I think, that you wrote with Jay Oliver from that era that Jimmy picked up and, and covered. And that was, uh, you were, I think you wrote it with Jay Oliver, Mermaid in the Night. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what was the kind of inspiration? Yeah, that was a good version of that, speaking of that. Yeah. I mean, I thought Jimmy did it right, and, and, and it, you know, it fit him really well, and he liked it. It, it seemed to really work. Anyway, what was your question? I was just going to ask you just kind of like, what, what was the initial spark that got that song going? Hmm. I don't even know if I can remember. I, 
I don't know. I was really into writing lyrics then, you know, or mm-hmm. trying to anyway. And, you know, when you become a, this guy, it's not like I'm saying I'm a good writer, but when you become a competent writer enough, you can, you know, you could give me an assignment and I could go home and come up with something. Mm-hmm. Now, it might not be any good, but you're going to be able to do that. If you do that enough, you sort of get this palette to, you know, work with and, and, you know, any good writer does that. And, you know, I mean, you write 10 songs and one of them's okay. You know, that's, and sometimes they just happen, you know, and you just, you go, wow, how did that happen? But it usually is my theory anyway. This is a theory that's all, you know, you don't know, nobody knows. My theory is that you write all these songs and then every night there's, there's one back there that's really good, but it, you've got to do this other shit to get it out. Hmm. What about Ruby's Restless Heart Lounge? What was the inspiration behind that song? Hmm. Uh, man, that's, I don't even remember that one. <laughs> is that the one about a whorehouse? <clears throat> right. Or bordello? I, I wondered yeah, when I heard it. Is. That's what it is. Very that's politic, Paul. <laughs> I wondered. <laughs> I mean, that's one of those dark little, you know, like a film noir thing, you know, or something like that. Is there a song of yours that you that is your favorite? It's usually impossible for songwriters to pick. Yeah, I would. I, I mean, I really like that once on the new album a lot. Yeah. And which one would that be from this one? Could you? Um. Well, I think they're all really good, but if I had to pick a favorite, I would probably go with Tin Roof. Okay. Well, what about you, Peter? Which one do you think is the the strongest composition? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a tough one. I don't know. Um, I think it would either be New July or... But all of them, they're really like symphonic pieces in that they're so... It's so different than writing a pop song. You know, they're really involved pieces. So um, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the process. But probably one of those two. When you have a song with a character in it, is the character real to you? Do you do you see it in your mind? Or how, how, what's it like when you... When you are, if we're looking into your head when you're writing, there's a lot of the songs that you've written have a character. It seems from you know Cowboy Ballet, uh, Frenchman for the Night. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. You don't really see somebody. It's just kind of. It seems like a kind of cool idea. It's like a story. Yeah, I don't know if I could describe the process much more than that. Well, on the note of Frenchman for the Night, it's. Very different from a lot of Jimmy Buffett songs. Very distinct. Right. Can you tell us about writing that song? Um, yeah, that's another one of those ones where I don't know where that came from. But I mean, it's kind of funny because Jimmy was going to do a new album. I, I distinctly remember I had this little piano idea and I had the lyric idea. And I, we were rehearsing on stage one somewhere one night, or at a sound check, right? And I walked up. I said, hey, Jimmy, come here and listen to this. And I said, what do you think of this? And I just played him the little thing. I didn't have any of the, like, it was kind of half done. He was like, oh, that's awesome, you know, or whatever he said. He liked it a lot. So then we finished it, you know, together, and then that's all it happened. But I never even made it. Well, no, I did make a demo, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, I think you did. Oh. But it was kind of weird because usually I don't, you don't go up to somebody and go, well, what do you, and you kind of play him this half idea. I mean, I would do that with Pete because I, he's going to, he has, he knows what I'm on or he's going to have his imagination in place. But with someone you don't, you know, you want to, it's like, 
I don't know what I'm saying, but you don't just start to go, hey, they're not going to get it. But unless you write with someone, then they go, oh, I see what you're doing. You know, that's, then they can go, yeah, I don't know. You know. Well, that's a theme that has come up a few times is in, in some of your songs is like a French kind of theme. And then the name of your publishing company. Right. Yeah. Tell us about that. What is that? Well, my family was from Alsace-Lorraine, or part of them was. So I just used it, you know, as a thing. It's another romantic myth that I created. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I'm a romanticist at heart, I guess. A lover of lost causes. <laughs> well, it was last night. I was listening to, um, oh, it's the song. I think it's the last song on Scotch. Gosh. Is it Put On Your Love? Um, yeah. Dress up. Oh, Put Your Love On. Put Your Love On, yeah. So you're a romantic. Well, not in the, like, I mean, in the classical romantic sense. Right. Well, in the era, I mean, philosophically. I mean, I would gravitate towards that over the, I guess, I don't know, maybe not. I mean, I had CNBC on when you came in, so I guess that's pretty classic. <laughs> when you think about your career, the songs you've written, the things that you've done, the tours you've done, what are you the most proud of? Probably this album. Yeah? Yeah. What is it about this album that is, makes you especially proud of, proud of it? Um... I don't know. It's just very. It's it's came together really well. The music is awesome. Everybody's playing is awesome. The sound is great. There's no compromising. There's no, you know. It's just. It's like this is what I want it to be. You know. What do you want to do musically that you haven't yet, or is there anything? Oh yeah, I I, I would really like to do more of this. More jazz. Yeah, and maybe a little bit more, maybe not so orchestral the next one, maybe, you know. I mean, having said that, I, you know, writing, writing pop songs is fun, too, you know, it's just, I'm kind of not in that mode at the moment, but. If I can interject, you know, one of the things I think is that, that's amazing about what Raj does is that these two songs, whether it's Cowboy Ballet or Frenchman for the Night or Tin Roof, exist in the same writer's palette. Which is unusual because it takes quite. Uh, I, I mean, in, in, you know, none of us are the best at what we, what's what's possible. That that's never going to happen. But to write a song like Tin Roof, you, you need kind of a deep toolbox in some ways, and then it's very different for Frenchman for the Night. You need a deep, but it's a very different toolbox. And to have all those in one writer is unusual. And, I think that's a special thing. And, and I'm going to venture to say that one of the reasons, Raj, we may have enjoyed so much this process of Tin Roof is that it, we got to dig deep into what we were about. This is our whole history right here. Mm -hmm. What we grew up playing is jazz. But there's simple melodies like Still Life. There's some um, stories behind the songs, you know, that kind of thing. Well, one of the stories, I don't know if I can pronounce the name of the song right. It's either Huey or probably Huffy. How do you say the, the name movie. of that? What is it? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Tell, the song? Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that song. It's just like a little, you know, kind of pseudo Ornette Coleman ish kind of little country riff, you know, thing. That's for the vehicles, more for the the musicians to play on, you know. Because we didn't, I didn't really, you know, I had the kind of more 
you know, very composed things where it was like, okay, this, you know, it's in, and then I wanted a song that was more like a, in the jazz terms called a blowing song, you know, but it's not really a blowing song. It's just something simpler that would be a nice compliment to the other songs, you know. Like, to me, I was looking at it like if I were a listener, this is what I would want to hear now. Like, I've heard this song, I've heard this lush song, I've heard this ballad, now I want to hear this kind of more, you know, a little playing thing, you know what I mean? That's how I wanted the album to be like a listening. You should, mm-hmm. you know, not you should listen to it, not just like you know. Yeah, listen to it as a whole. Right, right. Like that's what you want, ideally, you know, because mm-hmm. you want them all to work together. Like, oh, that's cool, you know. Because to me, it's that that's the thing I don't like about some instrumental jazz stuff. Is it all starts to sound the same. Like they don't, you know, mm-hmm. which is one of the things I love about what Pat always does is that. It's always from a listener's place. Like he'll play a lush song, and then he'll play a song that's very bare bones or whatever. The textures change, you know, and it's it's much more interesting from a you know a listening point of view. Even for someone who's a musician, you know, it, it still gets boring if it's all you ever hear is the same thing. And lots of musicians tend to do that. They they're stuck in their list. They're playing from their point of view, and it's like, well, that's fun for you, but it's not really. It's that the listener may be like, well, that's kind of boring, you know, or I don't understand. Or, and, and those are okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that maybe the other people are like, well, uh, it's not here for you to understand. This is here for me to play. <laughs> you know, that's all that you want. But I wanted it to be like that. So that's really the reason for the tune. In fact, I kept bugging Pete to finish it, and he wouldn't. So we just left it as it was. <laughs> I said, I'm sure you can bring something to this. Yeah, I got fired from that song. <laughs> I think we're a lot less tolerant now, though, of that. When we grew up, we climbed into the artist space. And I'm not trying to tout us as some great, but the big thing was like, whoa, listen to this player. And we had great patience for listening to a 17-minute song that was just really hard to get, you know. Uh, sometimes I wished for more patience. But now people want to be gratified real quick. And But I'm really glad Rod put that song on the album. It's it's not only a great, a great little song, but it shows another side of your playing, too, with the drumming and stuff. Do you think it will be as many years until there's another Roger Guthel? There was a long break. Yeah. I hope not. Yeah, i got to find another. I need a thunder for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> but the, this project has kind of reinvigorated. Yeah, the I, mean, I would love to do another one of these, just depending on how I feel about this one. Or maybe I'll, you know, I don't, the singing thing, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of, that was more just kind of a fun thing to do. I mean, I don't like my voice, so it's very hard for me to do it. Hmm. What makes you happiest? Well, no, that's a tough question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Everything. I'm not really like one thing or the other. Reading is good. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you read? Do I read? What kind of stuff, yeah? I'm a pretty avid reader literature, you know. I like, I'm a big fan of Jim Harrison's, all those Western, like Tom McGuane, Jim Harrison, those guys. But I've read a lot of, you know, Faulkner and Hemingway and, and, you know, all that stuff. Has there been a book that you've read that has been the biggest, like the, the, the most interesting book, the most inspiring book? Well, I have to say, when I read, uh, World According to Garp was an amazing book to me. I, I think it was where I was at in my life, and I always... That was a great book to me. 
John Irving is such a great writer. What are you reading now? Um, actually, I'm reading Jim Harrison. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Ancient Mistral. This is kind of an open-ended question. For anyone who's listening to this, wherever they are, or if they're reading it, however they experience it, what would you want to say to them? I'm not sure what you mean. Like, what would I want to say to them? Yeah, you have a, a pretty much, you have the stage. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Be kind to one another and, you know, try to do the right thing. <laughs> my last question is another one of my strange questions. Who is Roger Guth? That is a strange question. <laughs> I have many. <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean by that. I mean, what, what do you want? How do you define yourself? Oh, I don't like defining myself too much. I'd rather just sort of let it happen. I don't like to go fishing, you know, but I wouldn't, you know, define my life with that. I like to play music, but again, I wouldn't, you know. So if there was a, if you had a test and they said, who is Roger Guth, what would you write? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Roger, I have to say, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this, Paul. It's been a pleasure doing it. <laughs> I've been very persistent. Thank you very much for putting up with it. <laughs> You're welcome. Bop, bop, dealy, bop, bop, ba-doo, bop, zee-bock, a-doodly, not bock, su-ki-cha-cha-cook-a-baz-a-look-a-baz-a-neck-a-pook-a-get-a-go-da-dum-pop-doodly-zan-ba-dum-ba-dack-a-pot-a-k-a-yeah-a-zee-ka-bock-a